This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the MomWell Podcast. Today, I am excited to welcome reproductive psychiatrist Dr. Pooja Lakshman to the show. Dr. Pooja is a New York Times contributor, founder and CEO of Gemma, and most recently has become an author of the book Real Self Care. Dr. Pooja was on the show way, way back on episode 20, discussing whether or not postpartum depression can be prevented. Since meeting Dr. Pooja nearly two years ago, I've stayed in contact with her online and tracked through her fertility journey and really seen her career and platform take off. And today I am so excited to have her here to talk about real self-care. This is such a pain point for us as moms. When I asked many of you in my Instagram stories, what you do for self-care, many of the things that we picture or are stereotypical come to mind. We go for massages or we try to get pedicures. We try to have baths and do things relaxing. But is this what self-care truly is? Because I know that I can be laying on a massage table and I can be running through the list of the invisible load I have in my head and it feels anything but relaxing sometimes when we've got that space. So it begs the question, what is self-care really? What is the goal? What are we striving for? And how do we reach it or how do we embody it without it feeling like another thing added to the bottom of our to-do list? Dr. Pooja is here to help us understand and shift our mentality around self-care so that our needs are getting met day to day and not everything hinges on a bubble bath. This is a conversation we all need as moms. Let's get into this week's episode. You asked, we listened. MomWell is now expanding therapy support to the United States. At MomWell, we know that maternal mental health care matters. And we also know that moms are struggling to find quality, judgment-free providers. In fact, one in five women feel that they've been dismissed or ignored by a healthcare provider. It's time to change the way moms are treated. That's why we're determined to bring our therapy services to more moms than ever. Our qualified maternal mental health specialists are here to support moms across Canada and the United States. We support you in four major areas to ensure that we can meet the needs of as many families as possible. First, mom support. Motherhood has a way of bringing up our vulnerabilities, trauma, and mental health struggles. You shouldn't have to cope alone. Our mom counselors and postpartum therapists are ready to support you. We also offer partner support. After all, moms aren't the only ones who struggle after having a baby. As a non-birthing partner, you also go through a major life adjustment. A therapist can help support you through the transition into parenthood. Through our parenting support, we can help you tackle challenges such as breaking cycles, determining your parenting style, and parenting with confidence. Our team of qualified therapists offer specialized support for you and your family on your parenting journey. Our team also provides relationship support. Working with a therapist can help you process the changes and strains in your relationship, open up the lines of communication, develop boundary setting skills, and work through resentment. Motherhood is hard, but care shouldn't be. Connect with one of our qualified maternal mental health specialists today. Find out if we serve your area and book a free 15-minute virtual consultation at momwell.com slash booking. That's momwell.com slash booking. Welcome to the MomWell podcast, where we're committed to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. 
I'm your host, registered psychotherapist and founder of MomWell, Erica Jossa. At MomWell, we know that motherhood is hard, but care shouldn't be. We're committed to providing you with knowledge, tools, and support to navigate the challenges of motherhood. Our mission is to put moms back on the priority list and empower them to create a mental wellness toolbox free from judgment, fear, and shame. On the show, we'll be discussing topics such as postpartum depression, identity loss, the mental load of motherhood, and more. We'll be joined by experts, moms, and professionals who can offer advice, practical tips, relatable stories, and honest conversations. Here at MomWall, we believe that when a mom is well, a baby is well. So join us as we discuss the topics that matter to you with experts who get it. Together, we can redefine motherhood and change the way moms are treated. Dr. Pooja, thank you so much for taking the time to be back here with us today. Between creating a human, which I understand was a process, to writing a book, to a pandemic, like I'm just so happy that we could be here together and connect. So thank you for joining us. It is absolutely a pleasure to be here with you, Erica. And, you know, we've been trying to make this happen for like years, maybe at this point. I know. (laughs) And my son is now eight months, which is just a wild time flies. Time really just, it flies. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm so excited to chat and have this conversation with you. Yeah. One of the things I love about the like internet, the web space is that I can still feel like I'm in contact with you and like track along with your story, even though we haven't been able to connect. Like I know you went through a pretty grueling IVF process and now you've got your little one and you were really transparent about your adjustment to postpartum and the prep that you did for your postpartum as a result of the work that you do with women and with mothers. So I guess just thank you for that, for being transparent in your journey, because I think that in this role and having these platforms, sometimes people think that we're sort of immune to the things that they also go through, but we've lived it. And that's also what has sparked this for a lot of us, I feel like. So yeah, thanks for just sharing that process with us. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I think as a, you know, I'm a psychiatrist and I specialize in women's mental health and about 80% of my practice is women who are moms. So I take care of a lot of patients who are pregnant, postpartum, and I think, you know, being in this space is a little bit of a blessing and a curse. Mm. The blessing being that, you know, you know how hard it is. You know, all the risk factors. You also have access to the colleagues and the networks to be able to get yourself support. So I wrote a piece for the New York Times for Mother's Day last year. So that was when I guess I was in my third trimester. My son was born in June of 2022. And it was all about how ambivalence is normal. And I Mm. talked about how, you know, we didn't have a nursery yet. We didn't have any of that stuff set up, but I, you know, decided to go back on Zoloft and I was seeing my psychoanalyst, psychotherapist every week. And we had the resources to be able to pay for a postpartum doula who would be able to help in the night because I knew how sleep was just such an important protective measure. But I did all of that. Like that was my nest version of nesting. Mm. And I had that because of my expertise. I knew how important that was. At the same time, I do think it's a little bit tricky because I see the folks who need a perinatal psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. Not everybody needs a perinatal psychiatrist. You know, like 20% of people who have a baby are going to experience some form of mood or anxiety issue. 
So that's not everybody. So it was like this process of having to be like, okay, I want to prepare for the worst, yeah. but also know that it's going to be good too, yeah. that there will be good and there will be joy and there will be space for health as well and not just feel like a doomsday prepper. <laughs> right. It's an occupational hazard, yes. isn't it? Like when this is what we're supposed to day in and day out and Yeah, no, I can totally see that. And if I were to do it again, like I niche down after the three boys, if I were to do it again, I think I'd have a very different perspective. I would do a lot of things differently, like protect like my sleep and build a plan around my sleep and and lots of different things. But I can imagine how having all of that going into even your first, (laughs) you know, it is an insight and a look into motherhood that not everybody has ahead of time. So for better or for worse, I guess, hey? Yeah, totally. And I think part of it too is being older. You know, I I just turned 39. I went through IVF and I was ambivalent for a long time about having a baby. I'd previously gotten divorced. I thought motherhood really wasn't for me. And so kind of seeing not only my clinical expertise, but seeing friends who had had one, two, three babies and just kind of having that life experience, I think, too, to kind of say, nope, Mm. I'm going to do what works for me. You know, that's really the whole premise of my book, Real Self-Care, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I've been reading it and going through it, preparing for this interview. And as we're talking about postpartum prep and preparing for motherhood, and we think about self-care in the postpartum period, like... What comes to mind is this very fluffy, wellness-centered, you know, media-centered form of self-care. Like, I don't have time to go and get pedicures and get a massage. It's just another thing to do on my list, which so many of us can relate to. And so understanding and defining what real self-care is here today is going to be so, like, pivotal for so many moms, I feel like. I'm so interested in this moment of clarity. You had me hooked at the story about like how this book came to be. So can we just dive into like really what what inspired this or sparked this for you? Yeah, absolutely. So really the journey to writing Real Self-Care started about a decade ago. So, you know, I am of South Asian descent. My parents are immigrants from India. My father is a physician it was always sort of assumed that, you know, Pooja was going to go to medical school because Mm. she did good in all of her science classes. And even though I was a women's studies major in college, I just kind of was on this track. And so in, I guess it was 2012, I found after, you know, going to all the Ivy League schools, doing all the things that I was supposed to do, getting married, I was in my second year of psychiatry residency at a really prestigious school. And not only was I burnt out because I had gone straight through I was also really disillusioned with medicine and psychiatry. You know, we were being taught to prescribe medication, to provide psychotherapy. Not that I'm knocking any of those things. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm still on Zoloft, you know, and I do psychotherapy with my patients and I'm in psychoanalysis. But, you know, when somebody comes into the ER and they're homeless and you give them Zoloft, you're like, well, no, what you really need is housing. Or when you have a patient Mm -hmm. who has lost childcare for the third time and has to quit their job. Because of that, you as a physician feel just as powerless as your patient does. And I, you know, to be totally frank, like I was just a ball of rage. So I dropped out. I dropped out of residency. Mm. I moved into a commune in San Francisco and not just a commune, but a commune that studied and taught orgasmic meditation so the whole community mm. was based on... I feel like I watched a documentary on this recently. You might have. You might have. And um, it was all based around female orgasm. And I just dove in. You know, my parents were really happy. 
<laughs> Can you imagine? Oh my gosh. And you know, all my friends were like, what happened to Pooja? What is Pooja doing? And I spent two years with this group and I actually ended up doing a postdoc training at this lab at Rutgers, the orgasm lab, where we put people in fMRI machines and looked at their brain while they were having orgasms. And Mm. I mean, it was profoundly transformative for me personally and professionally. But by the end of those two years, I realized that, you know, the wellness, the complementary medicine, the spiritual space has just as many hypocrisies and contradictions as traditional Western medicine. Mm. And that I could not run away from my problems that like a wellness practice, a community, a guru, like they weren't going to fix me. Like I still had to do the hard work in my own life Mm. to figure out what I needed to take care of myself. Like no one else could solve that for me. So I actually left and that was just a really, really difficult decision. And later, probably about five or six years later, a bunch of media reports came out about the group and that the story was actually really, really dark. Like, turns out it's a cult. Yes, it's a cult, Mm. you know? And so I then had to, you know, I went into psychoanalysis three times a week after I left. To process all of that. Yes, to process all of it. And so anyway, so that's actually the impetus for this book in that, you know, not only am I a psychiatrist and I take care of women who are dealing with these same struggles of like, you know, how do I make time for myself? But I've also just completely gone down the rabbit hole and I've tried all these things in the most Mm. extreme way. And I I think I'm, you know, in the book, like I'm really trying to come at it from a place of compassion. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of snark about like all the wellness stuff, you know, the essential oils, like whatever it is. Right. And yes, I understand deeply. I understand that some of this stuff is dangerous, especially when we're talking about things like cults, right? Mm -hmm. But the reason that women in particular are coming to it is because we're missing something and we're not being served by the solutions that are sold to us. So that's where the book came from. I would say my second sort of moment of clarity was it took me a long time to decide whether I was going to write a self-help book because this is a very prescriptive, you know, there's lots of tools and reflective questions and exercises. And it's, I say from the get-go, you know, I have like the three yellow flags Mm. of any wellness practice. If somebody tells you that they have the one answer for your problem, you should pretty much run for the hills. Like, Mm. I really like to be transparent that there is not one answer. Like we all have to make our own path. It's not easy. Like the reason that there's so many self-help books is because one, the system is completely stacked against us, especially if you're somebody who is black or brown Mm -hmm. or has a disability or doesn't come from generational wealth, right? And so like, these are hard things. This isn't just like read this book and like, oh my gosh, your life is gonna be completely transformed. It's more like read this book, think about it, like take some small steps and then come back to it again. Like for me, the self-help books that have been most impactful, you know, one of my big heroes is Martha Beck, who I'm sure many Mm. folks that are in your community know. This is the type of book that you come back to like every couple years because the tidbits like have different meanings and it's never just one thing, you know, and you talk about this too, Erica, like there's never just one thing. Well, I love that it's principle and method based and we'll dive into those and how you lay it out a little bit. But one of the things about your story that you're talking about that I think so many of us, especially in motherhood can relate to is 
you sort of went off, you quit school, you quit the things that were, you know, causing distress at the time, and you sort of went away and and focused on yourself. And so often I get DMs and questions and polls, but like, does anybody just feel like running away? Does anybody just feel like they can't do it anymore? And it's not like a, I want to end my life sort of suicide ideation. It's a, like, I need to escape the pressure that I'm feeling. And so I thought it was a really interesting parallel in the book where you talked about how we can fall into this pattern of using self-care as like a form of escapism to sort of just get a break from our life, but how really truly it doesn't help the situation when we come back. And it made me think about how I used to just daydream postpartum about like going away on a beach for an all-inclusive vacation. Cause I'm one of those types sort of laid out in the book where like I'm very all or nothing. I'm either all on or all off sort of perfectionist in nature. So it's hard for me to find the nuances and do, you know, self-care a little bit differently in motherhood. That was a really hard go for me. So Like, can you lean into this piece a little bit about the escapism? Because I just, it just resonates so much, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So first I'll just say I'm the same way. Um, You know, I kind of went full throttle and dropped out of residency and joined a cult. But even since then, you know, I tell a story in the book when I came back to medical world that I saved up for a trip to Esalen, which is one of those, you know, really beautiful retreat centers. And I realized, you know, when I was there, I was like so serious. I had like my journaling, I had my special journal, I had all my meditations, I was going to get all of, you know, the big life questions answered, like everything was going to be perfect. And I met a couple there that was just like, oh, this is just our vacation every year. And I was like, oh, 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 yes, Mm. like that's what this is. This is a vacation. And we all need vacations, especially moms. You know, we talk about the mental load. We talk about the fact that our culture and our social systems, you know, especially in America, you know, where we don't have federally mandated paid leave, where caregiver support is so expensive, where there's, you know, a childcare shortage, Like those structural inequities make it so that moms, individual moms, have to pick up all the slack and Mm. you're constantly bombarded by having to face all these decisions. So of course you daydream about just running away from it all and going to an all-inclusive for a week or even like, let's just be real, like sitting in a spa and getting your nails done for an hour. Right. Or like locked in a hotel by myself for one night, even if it's down the road, you know? Yes. Yeah. So it's like, I don't want to shame that because- that is soothing, right? Like that's self-soothing. Yeah. And that's for many moms, like that's the only time that you can even hear yourself think. Yeah. But I want us to understand that those escapes aren't actually going to change anything in your day-to-day life Mm. unless you figure out a way to apply these real self-care principles to how you move forward. Yeah. So maybe before we get into the principles, can we help them understand the listeners what real self-care is? Because I know, and I even fall into this sometimes when we think about it, it's like, oh, like a break or time for self, or, you know, then it goes more towards that wellness, like massage and things like that. But what is self-care really? Like, what is it meant to be? Yeah. So I'll give you kind of an example that I think explains it well, or kind of captures it. In the book, I am distinguishing between methods, 
which is what we've called sort of faux self-care currently. So that's like the massage, that's a method that you're using. That's, you know, your Peloton, which again, these aren't bad things, right? Right, yes. But, you know, that's maybe even like making a gratitude list or, you know, all the different tools that you see sort of advertised. Those are methods. Whereas real self-care is a principle. Mm. It is self-directed. It's something that has to come from you. It's not something that you actually do. It's not something that you buy. It's actually a way of being and making decisions. So for example, you know, I have a patient in my practice and she has found that swimming is something that is really nourishing for her. Mm. So, you know, when she gets, you know, her 30 minutes of laps in the pool at her local Y, you know, she feels better mentally. She feels better physically. It's just something that she knows that when she's doing it once or twice a week, everything is better for her. Mm. In my framework, the swimming is the method. The real self-care is all of the decision-making, the Mm. boundaries that she had to set, the permission that she had to give herself, the way that she had to completely reform the way that she talked to herself so that she was allowed to make room in her schedule Mm -hmm. to get to swimming twice a week. You know, the negotiations she went through with her partner, she had to build sort of her whole week, actually, Right. Around these methods. And the reason that I think that this is so important, this distinction between principles and methods, is because especially when we're talking about motherhood, and you just alluded to this, Erica, you know, the things that you were using as methods when you were in your 20s, before you had kids, they don't work anymore. They don't. You don't have time for them. It's just not realistic. And so what I see in my practice is women who are like, well, that you beat yourself up because you're like, well, I just don't have time to get to this. It's on my to-do list. I know I should meditate. I know I should go to a yoga class, but I never get to it. And then I feel terrible because I feel like it's my fault because I'm not doing real self-care. You know, I'm not doing self-care. And so that's why instead, if we kind of shift to the principal version of real self-care, this is something that you can take with you your whole life. The methods change based Mm. on the seasons of your life. You know, when your kids are a little bit more independent, you might actually have time to go to yoga twice a week again. Like amazing, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I find that to be really powerful. And I developed this based on some of your listeners might know Greg McEwen. He wrote the best-selling book, Effortless. So he talks about principles versus methods. And so when I was researching and working on writing my book proposal, I was like, this framework, like this is the framework that we need to start applying, the language that we need to start applying. Like that's why self-care as we're defining it right now, which is very consumer oriented and performative, that's why it feels like a chore. Well, and I can be laying on a massage table still totally like swarmed by the invisible load and have nothing feel relaxing or I could be in my bubble bath and still be stressed out about all the lunches I have to pack in the morning, right? Like it doesn't always hit the mark either. We can get in it and it's, it can be disappointing and a letdown because it's not even what it's cracked up to be sometimes. I really love this shift in mindset because what's coming up for me as you're describing this is this is so counter the social norm for moms, like the expectation that we need to be it all, do it all, this intensive mothering, perfect mother myth that everything is at a cost of myself to make my child happy. And that's what makes me a good mom. So this shift in mentality to see self-care as an essential part of being a good mother to my children, 
being a good, you know, person to myself, a good mother to myself and nurturing myself and also to my children and my family sort of more broadly, it just rubs up against the belief that everything needs to be done at a cost of myself. Like that's a measure sort of, we need to give more, do more, be more. And so I don't know, I feel like these two things are sort of at tug of war with each other. And we talk about, you know, moms putting their needs first all here. Like, you know, we need to put our needs first in order to like meet our child's needs. I'm like, if we could just put our needs on like equal playing field as the rest of our family, like not even first, like just, can we just all be like of equal priority? That would be an improvement because we put ourselves last so often. Right, right. There's actually an exercise in the book, in the chapter on self-compassion, where I'm sort of going into martyr mode and exactly what you're talking about. And it's called permission to be good enough. Mm. And it's sort of like building on the framework of the good enough mother, but giving that to ourselves. So we're sort of constantly ping-ponging between selfless and selfish. But what if we, there's a middle lane Mm. where, like you said, what if we're just actually part of the team, you know? an actual member of the team. And, you know, it is interesting because I think it hits on, you know, I don't consider myself a parenting expert. Like that's not my jam. (laughs) Um, But I think like the way that we think about parenting and what it means to be a mom obviously is something that hits a nerve so much in society right now. And when I wrote my piece last year for the New York Times about how my preparation for motherhood was really taking care of my mental health. It's funny, the comments were scathing. Mm. Like people were just so mean. People were like, well, um, you know, if you need this much help before you even become a mom, then like, good luck. Yeah. You know? And I was just like, wow, people get really angry when moms talk about their own needs and their own preferences. Mealtime with kids can be stressful. But with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. 
Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MomWell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash MomWell. ZocDoc.com slash MomWell. If we have a hook, line, and sinker, lived our life according to we need to sacrifice ourselves in order to give to our child— and we see somebody who's not willing to do that, oh boy, am I pissed that I did this and wasted all this time and effort and energy when I realized, oh, it didn't actually have to be that way? Yep. You mean like I could have been a good mom and not sacrificed every ounce of my well-being and mental health and time and finances and energy. Like it didn't have to be so all-consuming. Right. Of course, the scathing rage comes out because, you know, we got duped. We got duped by what we told motherhood had to be. And it's a real challenge. And I think that I faced a lot of criticism or like, I mean, as we do when we have public platforms, I feel like people either love us or hate us. And, And it took me a really long time to realize this actually isn't a me thing. Like I'm good with like preparing for your mental health is the best thing you could do, not only for yourself, but for your child, for your family, for the like adjustment of you and your partner. Like it is, yeah, it's hard when people are really stuck in, I think the norms of how things should be. And when we start to talk about prioritizing ourselves and real self-care in putting ourselves on this equal playing field, it is counterculture. Like we're starting to swim. I think that's what I'm saying. It's like it bumps up against the norms where we are now swimming sort of against the current. And people may have things to say about that. Like, for example, I will have a big project coming up or be working on something and the kids maybe get hurt at school or something happens and the school will call and I'll say, call their dad. He can pick them up. And I, I have to, you know, I'm in, I'm in my zone. I'm doing what I'm doing. And it's not because I don't care. It's not because I'm like not nurturing or I'm ruthless or I'm anything like that. It's I know that they're healthy. I know they've got a nurturing father who can go and carry part of this load so that I can wrap up and we can all be together, you know? And that just doesn't sit well with people sometimes, I feel like. Totally. You know, and part of the work with real self-care is that you know that you're doing it right or that you're on the right path. There is no doing it right. Mm -hmm. But 
when people are pissed off with you, (laughs) right? If you're not pissing people off or if people aren't, you know, kind of disappointed with what they're hearing, then that means that you're not setting those boundaries. Yeah. Well, if we're pleasing everybody, we are not living according to our values. And that's another thing you bring up in the book is like anchoring within our values and what's important to us and our family and, you know, so that we're not making these decisions for everybody else. And that will eventually potentially upset somebody because we're not looking to please everybody. Like we're looking to care for ourselves and our family. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you know, in the book, I have a, an exercise that I developed called the real self-care compass. Mm. And it's very, it's the goals are actually secondary. The values, the way that you want to show up, the things that are most important to you. So for me, it's really things like, you know, authenticity and being able to be myself in the spaces that I'm in, whether I'm on a podcast with you or whether I'm with my patients or whether I'm writing something for the New York Times, you know, that's something that feels really important to me everybody has a different set of values. Mm -hmm. You can't just kind of take that cookie cutter blueprint and buy it at Target, right? Mm -hmm. And it's big things and it's little things. It's big things like the decisions that you make in terms of your career, you know, whether you decide to have another baby or not. And it's little things too, or seemingly little things. You know, in the book, I tell a story about a patient who was, you know, redoing her kitchen and like realized that she actually hates beige, you know? Mm. (laughs) And she wants a bright blue, like tiled pattern, tropical pattern and goes with it, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, you know, again, I think it just like always comes back to decision-making and how you're able to give yourself permission to make those decisions. And I'll say one other thing, and, you know, my work with patients, um, and you probably experienced this too, Erica, is that, you know, the first step obviously is setting boundaries. And that's why boundaries is the first principle of real self-care. The second step is compassion, kind of moving through that martyr mode, understanding that you're allowed to take up space, be part of the team. Mm. But then the second step, the values, that's where people struggle because especially for moms, if you have spent years and years giving all of yourself to your kids, the first time somebody asks you, well, like, well, what do you want? Right. Like, you're just like, I... I have no idea. I can't even pick what I want for dinner. I get angry when my husband asks me what I want for dinner, like, let alone what do I want to do with my like so-called free time. So that I think is a really one, it's important to validate for folks that are in that space where you're just like, it feels too overwhelming to even think about what I want Mm. to know that you can just take really small steps. And that's why I like values. You know, we all still have to do all the things on our list. We have deadlines. We have kids to take care of. We all this stuff. It's not like you can just say as much as we want to, you know, peace out. I'm going to the beach for a week. Mm -hmm. But you can bring your values to your to-do list, Mm -hmm. right? You can bring your values to every single activity that you're taking part in. So it helps us, I think, be more in a space of curiosity and reflection as opposed to being in that sort of like, mom, CEO, manager, who's just checking everything off the list constantly. Mm -hmm. The last piece I want to make sure that I get to too, is that, you know, this book for me, I really want folks to know that it's, it's not another self-help book in that I really, I have a whole chapter about systems. Mm -hmm. And when I talk about systems, I mean, capitalism, um, white supremacy, um, ableism, you know, sexism. Yeah. We are all kind of living through, no matter where you are in the world, we're living through, I think, a kind of a tipping point in terms of, you know, all of us sort of awakening to the fact that 
our culture has really been built in a way that is not for women mm. and is not for people of color or people that are in marginalized groups. So the practice of real self-care is actually really kind of subversive. So I'll tell a story that, you know, a patient of mine, you know, we had been working together for a couple of years and through the process of, you know, working together, she realized that, you know, she needed to set boundaries. She had two kids. Um, she understood that her inner self-critical voice came from her mother. You know, I'll, I'll, tell, I I'll take full responsibility for being a psychiatrist and, you know, blaming everything on everyone's parents. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, she realized that and getting clear on her values, she came to understand that she was actually really resentful that her husband had never taken a paternity leave mm. because in his industry, that was not something that was offered for male identifying folks. So she had a series of really tough, she got pregnant with her third and had a, a very, um, a series of really difficult conversations with her partner. And ultimately he asked for paternity leave at his startup and his leadership team decided to grant it. And they said, you know what, we need to retain, we want to retain talent. You know, we need to keep up with the times, like this is important. And that decision then went on to impact every other Everything. father yeah. who went on in that company. And that all came from my patient doing real self-care and learning to set boundaries mm. and understanding that she could be compassionate to herself and facing these hard conversations. So, you know, in this book, I'm not saying that real self-care is some sort of like panacea. Instead, what I'm saying is these are the small steps that we can all take in our relationships, which then actually have cascade effects. And when we talk about things like community care, when we talk about like mutual aid and really trying to solve the inequities in our culture, real self-care is part of that because we all have to show up differently. We all have to be willing to face these hard decisions in mm -hmm. our life. And if we don't do it for ourselves because we feel powerless, then nothing's going to change for the larger system. Yeah. I can totally see that, that by him doing that gave permission to other fathers or partners to ask for leave and the ripple effects that that can have when we take time for ourselves as mothers or when you share your prep for your postpartum and prioritizing your mental health, knowing that you had been through a challenging time through IVF and getting pregnant and all of these, you know, anxieties and things I'm sure that you experienced and saying like, I'm going to prioritize myself so I can better take care of this baby gives others permission to say, I really, I wish I did that or I need to do that or how can I make that happen for myself, right? And so in that way, I don't know if it's like advocacy work. I don't know what the, like I'm missing the language there, but it is shifting the culture and sort of pecking away at the norms that have kept people trapped in this motherhood that is so smothering, right? Yes, yes. And that's, you know, I think the beauty of this message and why it's so important for me, just given everything that I've been through, that again, like a bubble bath isn't going to get you there. Mm. Like a bubble bath is great and it's a method and we all need those escapes. But these principles, the actual looking at what is important to me, how do I spend my time? What is available? What choices can I make differently? And I think also having the support to do it. So, you know, with your community, Erica, like that's the beauty of these spaces. You know, my community, Gemma, you know, it's a space that you're able to come together with other people mm -hmm. who are making these choices. And I think, 
you know, like we alluded to earlier, you're going to get a lot of hate, Mm -hmm. you know, people aren't going to be happy. So you have to have those folks, whether it's a community, whether it's a therapist or a psychiatrist or, you know, somebody in your church, right? The folks that are going to be able to hold that space for you and say like, no, like this is what is important, you Mm -hmm. know, and you're allowed, you're allowed to make different choices. Yeah. And as we're talking about this, I can't help but see, and maybe it's like your gender study lens that comes into play in the work that you're doing. It's like, I can't help but see how some of these things are sort of norms are decided for us, right? Like we should be a a certain way or we should do these types of things, whatever comes up in your mind when we say that, right? Like I should be the one that takes leave. I should be the one that gets up in the nighttime. I should be X, Y, and Z. And those are things that I think are so entrenched in our norms that we don't even realize that we can opt out of them. We don't even realize that there is a choice. And some of this like the principles and the real self-care is to like almost realize and acknowledge some of those things and help to work towards making choices that are better for your mental health and your well-being and your, you know, how you parent, etc. But it's almost like we're in the dark until we realize that we actually can opt out sometimes. And maybe some people who are listening are having that moment right now where they're like, whoa, I didn't actually know that self-care was not, you know, these methods. And that it goes so much deeper than that. Where do they practically start when they're having this realization? Yeah, I want to answer this question authentically to the real self-care method, which is that it's not a method, that there's not one tool that I can kind of give as an answer. Of course. Maybe I'll just share a little bit of an example. You know, the person who finally, the mom who finally carves out an hour to go to the massage, right? And then like you were saying, Erica, where you spend the whole time in the massage feeling stressed and guilty about your entire to-do list, I'll often have people say, well, like, what am I supposed to do? Like, how do I fix that problem, Mm -hmm. right? And so I can't tell you what to do, but what I can say is the path forward is to ask yourself different questions, Mm. you know? you need to look at sort of what is enough? You know, when was the last time that I actually felt like I was enough? Where did I learn that I had to constantly be in motion and that I had to constantly be producing in order to feel like enough? Mm -hmm. And you might get some scary answers back. And that's also the beauty of real self-care because I'm not asking you to get divorced, quit your job and move into a cult. You know, I already did that. You know? <laughs> did that on our behalf. Thank you for that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, you don't need to do that. You don't need to throw away your life. Like just because you get an answer that feels scary doesn't mean that you need to act on it. Instead, I'm saying like, let's be curious. Like, let's look at what comes up there. Like we can hold that together. And then we can say, hmm, okay, like the next time I go for a massage or the next time I make a decision that, is trying to be in service of my own time and my own energy. What can I do differently Mm -hmm. over the course of my day to let myself actually have that space? I think sometimes we're just so caught up in the minutia and we want just like that quick fix. It's a lot harder to sort of zoom out and think strategically, even just allow ourselves to kind of like hope and dream Mm -hmm. that things could be different. So, yeah. And I see the connection with the worth and feeling enough, or why do I feel that I have to sacrifice all these things and asking those questions? Because 
I do think that there is a, a core sort of worth piece here. If our needs come basement level to everybody else's, I don't know, there's a valuing of ourself piece there. There's a not feeling good enough or not thinking we should be, you know, on equal playing field. So even starting there, so we can see that we are like worthy of the self-care time in whatever form, as you said, that it can come is a really great place. Because if we feel like we're not worthy, we'll, we'll make the time, we'll get there. I'll sit in the massage and I'll think, I really should be doing X, Y, and Z right now. Like I, you know, I think it's a really great place to start. And then you're just running on the treadmill, right? Yeah. And it never changes. And I just want to say one other thing is, you know, for anybody who's listening and maybe feels like that feeling of shame, like, oh gosh, I should have seen this. Like, no, like this is like our entire culture is built in this way. Like, you know, for folks that are listening from, you know, the United States, you know, we come from a country, like a capitalist nation, right? And also like, you know, slavery, right? White supremacy, like our entire culture is built on extracting productivity from people. Mm. And like, that's how our, our economy works, right? There's people who move up the ladder, you know, our higher caste, and they extract productivity from the people at the bottom of the ladder. Like mm. that's, you know, that's just how it works. And like, all of this is just unquestioned, right? So like, right. of course we feel this way. It's not something that you're doing wrong. So, so please don't blame yourself is, is I guess, my message. <laughs> well, yeah, it's the air we breathe. It's the water we're mm-hmm. swimming in. Mm-hmm. You know, society doesn't value a mother's time. Mm-hmm. They don't value the free care work that they do that will right. come at the right. cost of, you know, how much to our economy or the care work that they do up to the generation who is aging. Yes. Like, yes. So the messaging constantly to us as we're growing and as we're stepping into our role is that our time is not of equal value and all of these other slew of messages that we simply just breathe in day in and day out. So so I think that that's that we're blind to it piece. And, and it's not for, as you said, any faults of our own. It's just the norm. And you don't question the norm when you're in it. And that's how everybody's thinking and, and behaving. But the empowerment that comes with knowing that we can be curious, as you said, and question how we've been doing things and choose to do it differently for ourselves is incredibly freeing and empowering. And I know that your book helps people on that journey and helps get them there. And I know that it is coming out on March 14th. I'm so excited for you. And so, yeah, just so like amazing to put something out in the world that's gonna just really impact others. So where can people find it? Where can they find you, learn more from you? Yeah, absolutely. I am super excited about the book. And this was just a lovely conversation. Um, The book is out on March 14th. It's called Real Self-Care, a transformative program for redefining wellness, crystals, cleanses, and bubble baths not included. Mm -hmm. You can buy it anywhere that you get books, Amazon, bookshop.org, Barnes and Nobles, all the places. And you can find me on Instagram at Pooja Lakshman. And then my company, Gemma, G-E-M-M-A, is a women's mental health platform built by physicians where me and my colleagues offer community and courses that can help at any stage of the womanhood journey. So, um, yeah. so yeah, it was just lovely to have this conversation and, and just a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me, Erica. Yeah, thank you so much. We'll make sure to link all of that in the show notes so people can click directly through, find you and find the book. Thank you for making it happen and taking the time to be here with us today. 
seeing self-care as a set of principles rather than just a list of methods has really been a foundational shift in my perspective since reading Dr. Pooja's book and having this conversation. Self-care isn't really one big massive thing that we do that all of a sudden resets us and makes us feel rested, but it's a lot of little things and little choices that we do day to day and boundaries that we set and ways we protect our time and our energy and ourselves that are true real acts of self-care. I know that for me, another big part of self-care was allowing space for and meeting with somebody to work through my own healing and process my own baggage and wounds and things that were coming up. So sometimes self-care can also look like therapy. If part of your self-care journey is looking like allowing the space to heal and process or find coping skills for how hard motherhood can be, then I encourage you to book a free 15-minute consultation with one of our mom therapists to learn how we can better support you. Head to momwell.com to learn more. That's momwell.com. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where we are discussing deciding whether to have another child when we've had a traumatic experience, whether in labor, delivery, or postpartum, and trying to decide whether that's something that we want to work through again or not. Kaylee Summers of the Birth Trauma Mama joins me next week to help unpack this conversation. You don't want to miss it. I'll see you next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to momwell.com slash learning center to join the momwell email list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies head to momwell.com slash newsletter. Join me next week. Until then, remember that you have to be well to momwell. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? Because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.